the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Sponsored by the Law Office of Robert Bergman. Welcome to Plan Your Estate Radio with your host, San Jose Estate Planning Attorney Bob Bergman. Bob's been practicing law for over 30 years and is certified by the State Bar of California as a legal specialist in estate planning trust and probate law. Bob is here to help you set your house in order with valuable insights you can use today to prepare a better tomorrow for your loved ones. And now your host for Plan Your Estate Radio, Attorney Bob Bergman. Hi, good afternoon, Bay Area. This is Bob Bergman, estate planning attorney and host of Plan Your Estate Radio, broadcasting from my spacious office here in San Jose. Uh, I'm on Ross Avenue near Hillsdale, if you're familiar with that area. It's in the Cambrian Park area of San Jose. I moved here about a year ago, and I'm very, very glad that I made this move because it turns out to be uh, better all the way around, closer to home, closer to my kids' school, so I can drop them off in the morning and get into my office in about five minutes. I can also go there and pick them up if they're sick, and it's uh, really nearby. So... Um, Today, I'm going to be continuing on with more questions and comments from around the state of California, but I wanted to let you know I will take calls on the air today if you'd like to call in and ask me a question. I'm available. Here's your chance to talk to an estate planning attorney live on the air. Don't worry if you've never been on the air before. Um, I, I will be very careful and kind of guide you through it, so don't worry about that. The number is 800 516 1220. That's 800 516 1220. And uh, if you would like to get a question answered on the air, but you don't really want to come on to the show, you can email me your question at radio at lawbob.com. That's radio, R A D I O, at lawbob, L A W B O B.com. And lawbob.com happens to also be my website that I've had up on the internet. For over 20 years now. In internet time, that would be kind of like if I was in Europe and said that my business was founded in 1500 and it's been in the same location ever since. So uh, those of you who are younger and maybe don't remember the time before there being an internet, trust me, it did exist. Those of us who are older, such as myself, we can remember a time when there was no internet, there were no cell phones, there were no fax machines, there were no personal computers, um, there was, you know, maybe pagers, uh, and and but you still had to go to a phone booth or get back to your office or your home in order to make a phone call. Uh, anybody remember phone booths? I don't think that I've seen more than a half a dozen in the last year, and they seem to be just kind of sitting around here and there looking uh, very, very lonely. I'm assuming probably most of them, the phone doesn't even work anymore because uh, most people are 
carrying around cell phones now. And uh, even people who don't have very much seem to have cell phones. I mean, you can get cell phone plans by the hour, uh, you know, a certain number of minutes, things like that. So I think that the uh, the phone booths are going away, which means that uh, Superman will have a tougher time uh, changing from Clark Kent to Superman because there's no phone booth to slip into like he used to back in the day. And those of you who remember that, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Nowadays, Superman probably has to just slip into a nearby utility closet or, or something like that in order to change and then go save the day. So continuing on with more questions and comments from this great state of California. Let's take a look at a few here. Here's one out of Danville. It says, My father-in-law recently created a transfer on death deed, naming my husband as beneficiary to his home in Danville, California. Now, let me explain what a, what a transfer on death deed is. That's a deed for your residence um, where you actually say on the deed, when I die, this property goes to the person or persons that I mention in the deed. Uh, now, I don't particularly like transfer on death deeds uh, because, uh, for one thing, they're very hard um, after someone dies and the new person gets the property. If they want to sell the property, they may be hard-pressed to find a title company willing to issue title insurance until a certain amount of time has gone by to make sure there's nobody that is challenging that transfer on death deed. Um, because just because it was made, it could have been that the person who's receiving the property actually used undue influence or coerced the person into doing that deed. And that may not come out until after the person dies. So title companies are reluctant to issue title insurance because they're not absolutely sure that they have clear title to the property until the time that someone could actually contest that transfer has passed. And that and that could be a couple of years. So, but given that, um, this person said, when we had it recorded, we discovered that many years ago, my father-in-law had already created a living trust with the same property listed with my husband as trustee. Um, how does the living trust affect the transfer on death deed or vice versa? Well, if a trust was created and it said, I have my house on Main Street owned by this trust, um, unless the title was actually transferred into the ownership of the trust, it still is in the ownership of the father-in-law. If he then subsequently creates a transfer on death deed, um, that is the current titling of the property. And if it's a transfer on death deed, it's very similar to a bank account or life insurance or a retirement plan that has, excuse me, that has a named beneficiary. And a named beneficiary will generally not only bypass the probate process, but would also bypass the trust. Uh, in other words, the... Um, there's a named beneficiary. There's nothing actually to for the trust to transfer because it's already taken care of by the naming. Now, if that was the intention of the person, which was to ignore their trust, 
Um, what if they wanted it to be in their trust? Well, then they should probably turn around, um, revoke that transfer on death deed, which can be done because it is not a permanent thing once it's recorded, and then transfer and put the property into the trust so that the son can now handle it as successor trustee. Right now, if anything needed to be done with that property, it's still in the father-in-law's name. If it needed to be sold or something like that, the, the, his son would be hard-pressed to actually do anything at all to deal with that property because it's in his father's name and not in his father's trust. Um, I would advise this family, transfer the property into the trust, get rid of the transfer on death deed, Make sure if you set up a trust, make sure you get the benefit of the use of that trust and make sure that you also have a financial power of attorney and an advanced health care directive to uh, to handle those additional issues. Now, we're coming up on the first break of the show today, and I wanted to let you all know that I'm in the process of uh, finishing up the writing and we're now doing the editing of a new book that I'll be having coming out in a few months or so called Fixing Broken Trusts, Hegstat, and Trust Modification Petitions in California. I know that's a riveting topic, but you've, if you've been listening to the show for a while, you know that I have been talking about these types of court petitions um, on a regular basis. So I'm writing a book that will be a physical book available on Amazon, and an ebook that um, I will be available to email to people, and it's designed to explain the issues regarding these types of court petitions. And uh, when it's released, I'll let you all know and uh, give away that you can actually go to my website and download a copy of that ebook. So when we come back from the break, I'm going to continue on with more questions and comments from around the state of California. I have a whole list of them in front of me here, and I'm going to try to get to as many as I can today. But after the break, we'll continue. This is attorney Bob Bergman. Talk with you then. This is Plan Your Estate Radio with San Jose estate planning attorney Bob Bergman on AM 1220 KDOW. Hi, welcome back. I'm going to continue on with more of the questions and comments I have from around the state of California. And um, here's one that highlights um, an important issue uh, when dealing with banks. So here this person said, uh, Dad has a revocable trust. It's well written. I have the original certificate of trust, his will, health care power of attorney, and a copy of of the general power of attorney for his financial affairs. Um, I'm my father's successor trustee. Today, dad's doctor wrote a statement that my father's unable to deal with his financial affairs. Accordingly, the power of attorney appoints me and states that it's sufficient for a financial institution to see a copy of the power of attorney together with the statement of incapacity for the bank to act on my father's wishes without asking for further documentation. My father's bank refused to deal with me without seeing the original power of attorney, which I have misplaced. How can I get around this? Well, personally, um, I have found that 
Banks can be very difficult when dealing with with the power of attorney. Um, They are notorious for refusing to honor a power of attorney that was drafted by one of their own bank customers, um, even ones drafted by attorneys, and uh, even sometimes the statutory form power of attorney that the legislature has created for us to use. Um, They often insist that their own power of attorney form be signed by their customer and then identifying who is the agent under the power of attorney. Of course, oftentimes the customer can't come into the bank because, oh my gosh, they might be unable to travel. They might be on their back in a hospital um, dying. I mean, there's all kinds of reasons why someone can't get into the bank to sign their stupid power of attorney form. In this case, I would probably start by pointing out to the bank that the power of attorney by its own terms says that you can use um, a copy. You can use a copy of the power of attorney, which is considered equivalent to the original and that if they refuse to honor the power of attorney, well, then maybe they need to be taken to court to compel them and ask for attorney's fees and costs for doing that. Uh, Like I said, banks are notorious for ignoring the laws around powers of attorney. Um, Smaller banks and credit unions, things like that, they're not really as bad to deal with as major banks, and I'm guessing here it's a major bank that we're talking about. Okay, so here, uh, let's see. My mom is gifting her house in California to me, and I'm going to rent it out. I plan on taking half a million dollars out of the house. Ramifications? Question, do I get her tax base? Yes, that's correct. You get whatever she paid for it or whatever uh, or if your father passed away and passed it to her, whatever it was worth when he died. Capital gains, yes. Um, if you sell, renting it out will not trigger capital gains. Uh, if you borrow half a million dollars out, that's, um, that is a different thing entirely. Um, but uh, the key is uh, you you don't borrow it and then sell because if you sell the money you borrowed out is likely going to be a good chunk of it is likely going to be subject to capital gains even though you don't have the money anymore you took it out so that's and and as a general rule I advise people against gifting anything that's a capital asset to a family member and capital assets are those that qualify for special income tax treatment when they're bought or sold That's where we get the idea of capital gains tax. Uh, It's when you sell a capital asset that's gone up in value from what you originally paid for it. So here's someone asking, do I need a trust or will? I only have life insurance with my children as beneficiaries when I die. That's it. I live in an apartment, have nothing of value. I've got uh, an old beater car. Um, I've just got a TV, computer, stuff like that. Do I need to even bother with a will or a trust? I would suggest at least have a will so that people know where your modest personal possessions go. But more importantly, if you just have a will, you need to have an advanced health care directive and a financial power of attorney. 
because those will apply if you become incapacitated. You may not have much in assets and you may have already set up property to go to your children from your life insurance. I would raise the question, what if one of your children dies before you die? What happens to their share of the life insurance? That kind of depends what you put with the life insurance company as the beneficiary designation. Uh, Would you want that share to go to that child's children if there were grandchildren there on that side? Uh, Even having just life insurance raises a lot of questions in my mind as an estate planning attorney because we cannot predict who is going to die in what order. If we could do that, estate planning could be done perfectly every single time, taking advantage of every tax law, every benefit that imaginable if we knew exactly who was going to die and when they were going to die. But we don't have that luxury because we don't have that luxury. I kind of suggest that um, um, that people consider um, sometimes even having a trust when they have just life insurance, especially if it's a substantial amount of life insurance, because you cannot predict what's going to happen to your beneficiaries on your life insurance policy. And so that's why I'm called an estate planning attorney, not an estate hoping, wishing, and praying attorney. <laughs> so uh, if you'd like to call in, the number is 800 516-1220. That's 800-516-1220. Um, and I'm going to cover one more question here before we reach the mid-show break. Uh, someone says, Grandma said when she passed, the house was ours, presumably uh, the grandkids. She'd left the house we were buying from her irrevocable trust, which was going to be hers. We paid the house off but want to be certain we were not lied to and deceived since she told us another family it was ours. Well, generally, you don't have to pay off a house left to you in irrevocable trust unless there's a mortgage on it, and you may end up receiving it subject to that mortgage. So I'm not really clear just what the concern is here from this person. I guess they want to make sure that they're going to receive that house when Grandma dies, and the only way to be sure of that is to ask Grandma to see a copy of the trust, see what that says. Okay, we're coming up on the mid-show break, and after the break, I'm going to come back with more questions and comments from around the state of California. You can always call 800-516-1220, or you can email me at radio at lawbob.com if you have any questions. And I think I maybe have, uh, John, about 35 seconds? Okay, about 30 seconds to go. So I just want to let you all know that quickly, uh, I'm going to be doing some Living Trust seminars, but they're going to be available as webinars. That's going to be coming up within the next month or two. And uh, you'll be able to get more information on my website at lawbob.com. I want to spend more time with my kids. So after the break, this is Attorney Bob Bergman. Talk with you then. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman. Hi, welcome back. I'm going to continue with more questions and comments from around the state of California. Uh, This one is out of Apple Valley, California. 
And it's kind of an interesting situation. I'm not sure just what's going on here. It says, my son is divorcing and his wife is after child support and subpoenaed all my bank accounts and all documents from a lawsuit that I won. My son gets $2,000 a month from his services to me. He has his own business, makes about 70000 while his wife makes over $250,000. They're going to share custody of the children 50-50. She wants child support from him. <laughs> Let me pause right there. He's making seventy grand, and she wants, and she's making two fifty, and she wants child support. Uh, I think probably it's going to cut the other way. So the question is, can she use my trust and my money to get child support? My son is not a beneficiary, only a trustee. The answer to that is no. If it's not his property, because it's just she's um, just handling things for you, then he, she can't use your money to, to as his money to get child support from him. That's just nonsensical. And yet I'm sure that there's somebody who will try it. Okay, can an appointed executor hand over her responsibilities to anyone she chooses, or does it have to go through the courts? A relative declined to serve as executor. She hasn't attempted to do anything in over 10 months. Can she replace herself or give it to an heir of the estate? Well, the question is, if there's a will that names Jane Smith as executor and she hasn't done anything, she hasn't filed for probate, anything else like that, then um, she could resign as the executor and and then the next person in line could do it. And then if there is nobody else, then there is a priority in the law about who could petition the court to be named as the executor of the estate. The executor, administrator, personal representative all mean pretty much the same thing. Uh, different titles for the same job. And uh, and the priority is kind of what you'd expect. It would start with somebody's spouse, and then from the spouse it goes to their children, and kind of through the family tree, that's how it would go. So if this person's unwilling to serve, have her indicate she's unwilling to serve, um, and then anyone who is a, an heir if they can get um, if they can get permission from the other heirs to serve, they can petition, and someone can be put in charge to actually get the ball rolling. Well, here's an excellent question. Actually, I'm sure it's something that comes up now and then. Um, I looked at my dad's durable power of attorney, and there's a line for signature by the attorney. In fact, that's the agent appointed by the person to accept the appointment. But mine doesn't have that same line. We're both in California, and I can't find anything online saying it has to be accepted by the attorney, in fact. Also, my dad's has successor agents, but none of them accepted it. Let me explain what's going on here. Having a line for the person appointed as the attorney, in fact, meaning immediately appointed as the attorney, in fact, is a good practice Because then if they sign, date and sign, accepting the appointment, it makes it clear that they were aware that they were put in charge of handling things for somebody. If someone just makes a a, a durable power of attorney and names their son John as their agent, but never tells John he's the agent, it's kind of pointless to have the, um, the power of attorney 
if John doesn't know that he is the immediate agent. Um, and then if John walks in later uh, someplace and presents the power of attorney, um, it, it probably won't be a problem, but it could conceivably cause some kind of a problem down the line. So uh, I do that kind of as a matter of course when someone has immediate authority granted to someone. Um, certainly if I have those people available, I want to have them sign the acceptance. And then it's perfectly clear that in fact, um, that in fact there, um, there was an appointment made and the person did accept that appointment. Okay, here, is petitioning to be the executor the same as contesting a will? So this says, I'm person's petitioning the court to be the executor of a will of which this person is an heir. There are three nominees listed in the will. I'm the third one. The second one doesn't want to do it. The first one wants to do it, but I believe there's a conflict of interest, so I'm petitioning to do it. Incidentally, the first person is not an heir under the will. The concern is um, the will has a clause that says if anyone contests the will or attacks or seeks to impair or invalidate any of its provisions, I disinherit that person. So if you petition to be the executor, are you contesting the will? I would say not really. What you're doing is you are asking to be appointed as the um, as the executor maybe over and above the other person that is uh, appointed as the executor. I don't think that that is going to cause a problem to someone. All right. Okay, now this is something actually I'm getting ready to do in about a month. My petition for final distribution was approved today in uh, probate court for my late mother's house. How do I get the deed transferred into my name? I'm the sole heir and there's no mortgage on the house. Well, if you are the person that is named to do the distribution and you can distribute it to yourself using a personal representative's deed, basically a deed from yourself as the representative of the estate to yourself, basically, and then you would attach to that deed a certified copy of the final order for distribution that shows that you are, in fact, the one receiving the property. I'm about to do this in about a month for a probate here in Santa Clara County, where there are two parcels of real property that will need to be distributed out of the estate to the uh, person who's inheriting, um, and that is what's done. It's a personal representative's deed, um, and you can typically find examples of those. They may have those at some courts, have them on their court website as a form you can download, or even just Googling personal representative's deed, you could probably find one that could be readily adapted in uh, and used in that probate. Okay, uh, can someone get an inheritance if their partner died? They were never married. There was no will, but they had children together. Hmm. Well, here's the deal. If all you were is a partner, meaning there was no ring on it, uh, you just cohabitated together, even if you had children, that doesn't mean you're entitled to receive any inheritance from your partner when your partner dies because there is no legal relationship 
uh, a relationship that is spouse of my children is not a relationship or not or rather parent to my children is not the same as my spouse. The spouse would actually have some rights to receive the property um, with their with children there if it's separate property. In this case, there was an estate inheritance from the person's mother. Well, then that would mean uh, if there was a marriage, if there's two or more children, one-third would go to the surviving spouse, two-thirds would go and be divided between the children. And since there is no marriage, 100% would likely go to the uh, the children of this relationship. If they're underage, that will trigger a guardianship for that property coming from their parent that died, which is not a uh, not a good deal uh, either, because that's going to uh, that's going to <laughs> well that's going to create a whole new set of problems, especially when they turn age eighteen and have their inheritance handed to them, which I think might be about the worst possible result I could think of, uh, handing the vast majority of those turning age eighteen any significant sum of money. I know what I was like at age 18. I probably would have blown everything. I think many of us out there who are older now, looking back at our 18-year-old selves, would say, yeah, if I got a bunch of money, I probably would have spent it all and blown it. And there's probably at least a few people listening right now that that's exactly what they did when, when they turned age 18. They received money that was held in a guardianship for them. And they spent it all. So um, not a good result. And it's one that I uh, I very, very, um, very, very regularly suggest uh, that people not leave property to an 18-year-old and that they do planning that will avoid that result. Okay. Uh, can a surviving trustee or spouse have the authority to end a trust? The short answer is, if a spouse dies and the surviving spouse receives 100% of the property without any restrictions, it all goes to them, then yes, they can end the trust if they want to. But many trusts are set up so that the deceased spouse's share of the property actually goes into an irrevocable trust for the benefit of the surviving spouse. In that case, the surviving spouse cannot really just end the trust at least not without going to court and getting a court order to modify the trust so that they don't have to divide the property. Uh, that's a probate code section 15403 trust modification petition. It's one of the ones that I do a lot of, and it's also one of the ones that's going to be one of the subjects of my upcoming book on fixing broken trusts. Well, we're coming up on the third break of the show today. And um, when we come back after the break, I could take one call if someone wants to call in, 800-516-1220. If nobody calls in over the commercial break, I'll finish up the show today with more questions and comments from around the state of California. So I will talk with you after the break. This is estate planning attorney Bob Bergman, host of Plan Your Estate Radio. I hope you're enjoying the show so far. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio. Once again, your host, estate planning trust and probate law specialist, attorney Bob Bergman. 
Hi, welcome back. Well, I've been informed by John, my engineer, that I have Jerry on the line from Palo Alto. Jerry, are you there? Um, yes, I am. Okay. Hey, Bob, thanks for taking uh, thanks for taking my call. Sure. Well, what do you want to know? I was wondering. Uh, I I have a uh, my wife has a piece of property. Excuse me. My wife's father has a is inheriting a piece of property uh, that from an estate. His brother, though, was not a resident of the U.S. His uh, brother was a resident in Korea, and uh, but the property is owned uh, in the U.S. and uh, it's owned by a company that his brother had set up. So my question is, we're, we were contacted by the attorney in uh, uh, in Korea saying that we need to hand over the. Um, uh, power of attorney for them to distribute the property and uh, uh, to sell the property. We do not want to sell the property. We'd like to have our, or her, my wife's. Jerry, are you there? Property. Yeah. Can you hear me okay. now? Yes, you just cut out for a moment there. What are the rules for a uh, for a to own property, uh, and then if they pass away, how does that property get distributed? Well, let me start first. You, you said that the property is owned by a company. Yeah. So. Uh, so uh, is the my, company my, is what's being distributed? Yeah. So this. The, the property I found out that the in my uh, uh, in the deceased's name it's actually in his company's name and the attorney uh, in Korea is is saying that well to get it out uh, they need power of attorney and uh, my father-in-law does not want to give them power of attorney and so they're saying that they can't do anything with the property then we sign that okay, Jerry, I'm, yeah. I think I'm, I'm going to have to cut this short for a couple of reasons. Okay. First of all, you're cutting in yeah. and out, so I'm, I'm missing important words. That. But probably more importantly than that, what the situation you're describing is complex on so many levels. I couldn't be able to start. Um, you, you have the international law implications of someone living in Korea and having property in the United States, that has estate tax implications. Um, there, There is a very severe limitation on how much someone who's a non-resident, non-citizen that owns property here, uh, passing it to someone here. Um, my last reading of the law is there's only a $60,000 exclusion from the federal estate tax. So there could be a major estate tax problem here with this property, but if it's actually owned in a company, um, that I'm trying to figure out, trying to unwrap how it was left to somebody if it's owned by a company, unless the company was left to somebody. Um, this is the kind of thing that, uh, that really can't be answered over the telephone 
uh, on a you know five minute phone call. This is a, a major thing that that your I guess your family is facing there, and um, and I may not even be the right person to meet because I don't consider myself to be highly versed in international taxation and international um, situations like this where there's property owned by someone in another country that's here in the U.S. and is passed on to someone here in the U.S. There's a lot of different moving parts there. Um, And I don't know who would be giving a power of attorney because it sounds like somebody died. So um, a lot of different things in here. And I think you're better served. uh, Father-in-law's brother passed away. And so that was, uh, and this was his company. Uh, So that's kind of where this is. He's the only well, what was the company left? What was the company yeah. left to your father-in-law? Uh, I don't know. Okay, if it was the company or the property in the company. I'm I'm not sure about. Well, that. see, that's and that's that's the first line of questioning right there. How does someone leave a property that's owned by a company to somebody without taking it out of the company? Um, and that that's you can't really do that. It may be that the effort to leave the property is going to fail because um, because there was no ability to leave the property to somebody if you didn't directly own it, if it was owned in a company. That's that's just the first question that comes to mind. Uh, it, there may be kind of no real answer here. Plus, you know, if it's property here, there has to be some kind of legal process here in the United States to transfer that property. And I don't have nearly enough information to even start answering this. And and unfortunately, we're we're yeah. coming up. I got less than a minute left in the show. But Jerry, if you wanted to uh, email me at uh, radio at lawbob dot com, we could continue this on, and maybe I can put you in touch or your family in touch with with an attorney that can answer those questions better than I probably can. How does that sound? Great. Thank. You. Yeah, thank okay. you very much. I appreciate it. I was just listening to your show, and uh, this, you know, I've been trying to figure, we've been trying to figure this out. So, yeah, I appreciate the help. I'll send you an email. Well, thank you for calling, Jerry. And to all of you out there, I hope you've enjoyed the, enjoyed the show today. I'll be back uh, next week. This is Attorney Bob Bergman. Talk with you next Friday. You've been listening to Plan Your Estate Radio with estate planning attorney Bob Bergman. For more information on today's program or to schedule a consultation, visit lawbob.com, where you'll also find information on his upcoming estate planning seminars, L-A-W-B-O-B, lawbob.com, or call his office in San Jose, 408-247-0444. That's 408-247-0444. And be sure to tune in next week for more Plan Your Estate Radio. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of this station and are for informational purposes only and should not be construed to be legal, financial, or tax advice. Seek appropriate legal advice regarding your particular situation. Attorney Bob Bergman does not offer any guarantees with regard to the outcome of your legal matter. Prior results in other cases do not guarantee a similar outcome in your case. All rights reserved.